You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, it's Adam, live and in person for you. Hey everybody, it's Adam, wonder who he'll interview. Hey everyone, it's Call Me Adam, broadcasting on the Broadway Podcast Network. On today's episode of Burying It All with Call Me Adam, I am recording at the Houdini Museum in New York City with director Carl Andres, whose longtime collaboration with Tony nominee Charles Bush is continuing at the Cherry Lane Theater with Charles's hilarious new show, The Confession of Lily Dare, running through March 5th. Hi, Carl. Hey, Adam. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Um, we are going to start with The Confession of Lily Dare which you are currently directing. That's right. So, um, like I just mentioned, it's playing at the Cherry Lane Theater. And before we get into the actual show itself, let's just start a little bit with About You. Okay. So my listeners can get to know you a little bit. So who or what inspired you to become a director? Well, I grew up in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, and going to theater all the time. My mother was an actress and a singer. She was actually Miss New Hampshire in the 1969 Miss America pageant. Oh, wow. But she was from New York City. She grew up in Brooklyn and Queens and eventually Long Island. But when she was 16 years old, my grandfather moved... um, 10 of his 14 children to New Hampshire for a job. He had to take a job. And so she was doing her senior year of high school in a completely different state. Wow. And she really spoke with a Brooklyn accent. (laughs) And when she got into the pageants, quite accidentally, she thought she was signing up for something else that was just a local little fun thing. Turned out it was actually for the local Miss Nashua pageant. And then she won. She's a singer. And she won. And then she was going to the Miss New Hampshire pageant and she won. And so then when she was going to Miss America, they really couldn't have Miss New Hampshire sound like she was from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> so they gave her, you know, some speech uh, help to make her, you know, sort of iron out that that Brooklyn mm-hmm. accent. So anyway, so, you know, theater was in our blood. And uh, my father is a newspaper man in New Hampshire and he is a big uh, theater fan, too. And mm-hmm. they would go to Boston to see tryouts. In fact, when I was a little kid. I grew up like seeing their playbills. They went to see Company and Follies oh my like, God. in their out-of-town tryouts. You wow. Know? So they were there. Yes. You know? So I sort of always had that fascination. My mother was very involved in the local theater scene, mm-hmm. and my father became a critic and for the newspaper he worked for. So we were seeing things all the time in Boston and the greater Boston area, and I became really fascinated with seeing how shows were put together you know my mother was in them um but then i would go to rehearsals with her and i would help paint scenery and i would see what rehearsals were like and how the shows all sort of came together really starting at the age of three wow you know I, my they were doing lil abner and my mother was on the props committee and her best friend was playing daisy may and i was taken to the show and i guess i fell asleep at intermission <laughs> and my father took me home and as soon as i realized i was home i was furious and wouldn't go to sleep because I did not know how the story ended. Oh my God. And I wouldn't go to sleep until my mother came home and told me how the story <laughs> ended. So as I grew up, uh, you know, I was just sort of fascinated by all that. But, you know, I think there comes a time where you're, you sort of, especially back then in the 70s and 80s, you sort of 
your way into the theater was through acting. You could mm-hmm. audition. You could get into a play at school right. or locally. And so I started off that way um, and always sort of thought I'd want to be an actor. But then as I went through college, I think my my mind just sort of expanded a little bit more uh, in wanting to do that. And then subsequently, after college, after being on the road, I went and did sort of a children's theater tour mm. with American Family Theater, Aladdin, for about <laughs> a year, and eventually landed in New York. And uh, uh, subsequently met Charles Bush, and well, that's a whole other story. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to we'll that. We'll get to that. And it was after sort of uh, being in his circle for a couple of years where he sort of knew I wanted to be an actor, but really sort of said, kid, I think you're a director. Mm. And uh, once that door was open to me, I sort of never wanted to look back. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And I love that he had that intuition to be like, this is what you're calling it. It's really special when somebody sees you. Mm -hmm. I think we all look for that in our friends and our relationships and our families. We want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people see things in you that you don't really know are there until they make you aware of where your gifts really might lie. Yes. Yes. So how did you meet Charles Bush when you landed in New York? I feel like uh, one of the luckiest people in the theater simply because I met Charles about six months after moving to New York City. Wow. Yeah, he, uh, there was a show playing called Swing Time Canteen that he wrote the book for mm-hmm. and it was starring Allison Frazier mm. and Emily Lesser. And, uh, and it was a really fun off-Broadway musical that I actually at the time couldn't afford to go and see because I had a series of crazy jobs. You know, I was... Working at a, I was a office temp. I worked at a, a fudge store, Hershey's Fudge oh. in the City Core Center. I had to dress up once a week as Fudgy the Bear and hand out samples <laughs> by the elevator bank. It was dignity, always dignity. We uh, all do it. We all do it. I had to dress up as a moose one time and walk around CVS. Oh, so. I, I did Clifford the Big Red Dog, <laughs> you know. Oh, goodness. Um, what else did I? Oh, and I worked at Starbucks. I, I so did not want to be sort of like in working in like an office mm-hmm. or, or in like the, the agency because I really wanted to be like sort of in show business yes. uh, in the creative the creative side of things. So um, I, I wasn't really satisfied with like being like you know in the office Mm -hmm. and it didn't even occur to me about like being in a producer's office or a general manager's office it was just sort of like I didn't want to be in an agent's office yes and so I wanted to have that freedom to be able to go and audition and I just miraculously got this phone call it was probably around Memorial Day uh, where uh, a, a friend of mine who had graduated from my college, University of New Hampshire, about 10 years before me, and when he had come, I had been working in the theater, sort of like, um, they called us um, technical assistants, mm-hmm. and we were involved in working on all aspects of the technical aspects of the theater. So you would have to work in the lighting department, you'd have to work in the scenic mm. department, you'd have to work in the costume department. And I sort of met him when we were doing some production, maybe it was Into the Woods, and mm-hmm. I was responsible for creating uh, Rapunzel's hair. And uh, and so I met him, and so by the time uh, I was in New York, I'd let him know, and he called me up and he said, listen, a friend of mine's a company manager on the Soft Broadway musical, they're looking to replace their wardrobe person. I know it's not an acting job, but it's in the theater. Mm-hmm. And maybe you should go and interview for this, and at least you get to see the show for free. Yes. So I took him up on that. I got to see the show for free. I fell in love with it. And then as I was speaking with the woman who I would replace, 
the wardrobe person, I was just saying how I was such a fan of Alison Frazier and I'd read mm. all of Charles Bush's plays and had read his novel and knew, you know, what everything I could about their company, you know, Theater in Limbo. And the costume designer was Robert McIntosh, who had designed the costumes for MAME wow. on Broadway. You know, so I was just like so into it. Well, she, I guess she figured she had a real live wire here. <laughs> so she recommended me to the general manager. And unbeknownst to me, she just said, oh, can you come back tomorrow for the matinee and just shadow me during the matinee? I said, sure. Wow. So when I showed up, the company manager said, well, why are you here? And before I could answer, she said, well, he so wants this job that he asked if he could shadow me. And so then they went into Allison and they said, all right, you've met these candidates, you know, who would you like? And she said, hire the boy. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> Bathe so him and bring him to me. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just she, you know, I guess maybe they said, you know, he is a fan. Yeah. You know, and so then uh, I met her and she became a really good friend and she was with the show for another few months. And then subsequently she was going off to do something else. Mm -hmm. And Charles took over. And replaced her in the show. And I thought he was going to have his own dresser, a big retinue of, of staff, you know. <laughs> and he just sort of showed up one day for the photo shoot, you know, with a wig in one shopping bag and a dress in the other shopping bag. And, you know, and I'd written him a letter, you know, asking him to come to a reading of a play I was doing. And he said yes. Oh, my God. And he just sort of showed up and we became sort of immediate friends, sort of protege mentor. And then, you know, as we put him into the show, I just became, we became really good friends. That's amazing. And for the next two years, I sort of, he would ask my advice on, he was appearing at a gala or a benefit. And should he, if he was performing, and it's like, should he be in drag? Should he mm. not be in drag? What should he wear? All of these sort of things. And we just sort of started having this dialogue about show business stuff and, before long, um, about I would say about two years, uh, he wanted to do a new play, uh -huh. and uh, and he said he was going to write me a part in it. Wow! And then we talked about the story so much that he subsequently said, "Well, I think we should do this play." And he got us a booking at the WPA Theater and got it set up so that we could direct it together. Oh my god! He said, "Kid, I think you're a director." And so you'll be in this play and we'll direct it together and we'll put it on. And I ended up really sort of taking on more of the responsibility of, of directing. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, was really focusing on his performance as a star yes. and, and, and writing. And together we put on this show called Queen Amarantha at the WPA Theater. And uh, it was not exceptionally well received. You know, mm -hmm. people wanted it to be funnier. We mm -hmm. were just really doing a melodrama. <laughs> and we were sort of like really going at it like this was very bam very public theater yes. um but you know i think there was an expectation that it it wanted to be funnier mm. just because it was a melodrama and was sort of you know uh, inspired by a garbo film called queen christina mm. um so you know we learned our lesson yeah and we you know we had that experience and then subsequently um the next year we want to do something else. And Charles said to me, all right, so do you want to be in this one? Or do you just want to direct it? <laughs> and I said, I just want to direct it. And I really knew that I, I didn't want to pursue an acting career mm. anymore. I really just wanted to focus on uh, being a director. And so that next play that we worked on became Shanghai Moon. Oh my God. Yeah. What a great way to like get right into it and, and to be able to work with someone so illustrious as Charles. I mean, from the from the get-go, like from both really the start of his career, your career. Like I said, I mean, I was uh, I was probably like 23 or 24 years old, wow. so I was very young. Um, but when you have somebody who believes in you, and he sort of adopted me right into his family, like, you know, he and his partner sort of like, 
you know, were very encouraging to me and making me feel like I belonged and had a sense of family yes. in New York. Uh, same thing with his sisters. Mm. And then his friends, you know, his group of friends subsequently sort of became my friends and we were just all sort of connected in this way. And therefore, and that, that continues on to this day, you yes. know, like with our casts, with mm -hmm. our designers, with people who work on our shows, we sort of all become an extended family and we always kind of go back to the same group. Yes. As I think, you know, you notice. I do. Yes. I was going to say it's so like Jennifer Van Dyke, oh, who's Jennifer. in confession of Lil the confession of Lily Dare. I mean, she was in, um, divine sister, uh, Third story. We, start, we met her on the on the third story. Yeah, we had a real hard time finding somebody to play the, that role. Dr. Constance Hudson, mm -hmm. who had yes. a very long monologue, very detailed monologue in the second act, and we were having a hard time finding just the right person. And we had already cast our leading man, Jonathan Walker. Yes. And her uh, husband. Her husband, but we didn't know her yet. Mm. And so Charles was talking to Julie Halston. Uh, dear friend and said you know we're having a hard time casting this role and she said well you know Jonathan your leading man is married to this <laughs> wonderful actress you, you, you ought to have, call her in so, so we, we had the casting office bring her in and I think uh, Charles and I both remember this that she got you know like two sentences into the monologue and we were like Hire her, beg her, please. <laughs> Will she do it? Will she come to La Jolla? And sure enough, she did. And now it's, I think it's like 11 years later. Mm -hmm. And I think we've done like over a dozen projects together with various productions of the plays mm -hmm. and readings and benefits and things. And she's just one of the greatest, greatest gifts. Yeah, she's have. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I love how you do keep sort of a quote unquote company of, of actors for all the various shows. I mean, Allison too has been in Allison's numerous been in shows. shows. Yeah. And Julie, like you said, many, and many, many, and, and sometimes it's, you know, oftentimes, uh, Charles will have an idea and he'll know, he'll sort of tailor a part mm -hmm. for a certain actor yeah. and hopefully they can do it. Sometimes they can't. Sometimes we have the booking and somebody's not available right. or they are. Um, and we, we sort of try to, maintain that and uh and then keep tailoring the the piece you know the, the role to the piece yes. and to them um and it's just uh it, it makes for a very lovely working environment yeah and it makes for a great presentation from an audience standpoint because i always am so happy when i see whether it's julie allison jennifer jonathan i mean there's so many i could rattle that's off but lot, yeah. that's uh, i would say the core group i'm always excited when they're in one of your shows I mean, yeah, it's we just love fantastic. it when it works out, you know, and then sometimes it, it doesn't work out. But, you know, we have the booking. We have to, right. have to do the show. Right. But it's it's, you know, there'll, there'll be another one. OK, before we really get into the confession of Lily Dare. So one thing I do notice, which I know you mentioned. So some shows that you and, and Charles have together, you don't have reviewers come mm -hmm. and others you do. So how do you decide which ones you want to invite reviewers to and which ones you don't? Well, uh, you know, uh, whenever we do, whenever we start one of our plays at Theater for the New City, that's mm -hmm. typically just meant as an exercise to have a good time, to mm -hmm. have fun with, it's not meant to be a workshop, it's not meant to be a tryout, it's really just wanting to put a show on mm -hmm. with our friends, with people we like. And so we, when we do it at Theater for the New City, because we only rehearse for two weeks wow. in the evenings, and because we do it only for 24 performances, we don't want to, we don't invite critics to those because it's, it's you know, it's a little unfair to everybody to rehearse so briefly because you, because we're, you're not, yeah. you're not really paying anybody a lot, right. a lot of money. It's a stipend. <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, for you work really hard, you work really fast, you work very honestly, very quickly and clearly, but you know, to, to be, you have to be reviewed in the first weekend if it's going to do anything, right. if a review is going to mean anything. And usually we sell, we sell out. So mm-hmm. there's no, you know, real need, but you know, also if we get an opportunity to move it to another situation, you know, like with a not-for-profit theater, like primary stages or a drama department mm-hmm. or to a commercial run, like with divine sister, it's kind of nice to have it you know, fresh. Yes. You know, it's a fresh property that it hasn't been reviewed in, in a sort of a showcase situation where it's just a little, t- it's, it's a little too raw, even though they come out great. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And I think they come out great because we don't have that pressure mm-hmm. yeah. of, Oh, and tonight's the, you know, we've had two previews and now we have the critics coming, right? you right. know, which is just, just a lot. Usually these are meant to be uh, experiences that are done for the, for fun. And, and if it's meant to, have another life, then so be it. And that's when it will be up for critical mm-hmm. review. You know, like I said, whether it's a not-for-profit review, of course, we have to fill more than 24 performances right. and more than 99 seats. So you do have to have the critical voice. And we want it. You know, we, we want to hear what um, the critical critics have to say. But, you know, when, we're, when we've had like a full preview period, when we've had a full rehearsal period right when we're doing it in you know two weeks including tech <laughs> oof, that's asking a lot <laughs> yeah yes well the confession of lily dare is one show that has expanded to an off-broadway run it started at theater for the new city last year where you 2018, did 2018 actually oh 2018 yes right we went into rehearsal in 2019 so. right so that was an, in 2018 then it was the initial 24 yes. performance run so um what um so when when after that run did you say, oh let's have this be expanded to an open run? Uh, well, it's not an open. I mean, it's only going through March fifth, but um, but a, a commercial run. run. Yeah, yeah. Well, what had happened is uh, primary stages where Charles has done. We did our play, the tribute artist there, yes. and he did his play. You should be so lucky and Olive and the Bitter Herbs, mm-hmm. and so he has a relationship with uh, with primary stages, and and I just love them over there. I love Andrew Lindsay, I love Aaron Daly, I love Casey Childs, and they actually wanted to do. Uh, something with Charles in their 35th anniversary season. Mm. So they invited him to be a part of it, which was going to be in two years. And so, uh, so he was like, okay, well, and we, we thought maybe we might do a revival of one of his other plays or who knows, Lily Dare didn't exist at that time. But since we knew we weren't going to be having that slot for two years, well, maybe we should do something else. And so in that time, he wrote Lily Dare. Mm. We did the 24 performances. And while we were in it, he just he said to me, I really like doing this play. I really like playing this role. I would like to con- do it again. You know, I, it's not out of my system yet. Mm. So we talked to primary stages and we said, what do you think? And so they came to see the show and they thought he was marvelous and they thought it was marvelous. And so they said, yeah, let's make this what will be in that 35th anniversary slot. And so here we are. So that's just sort of how the universe conspired to, you know, we had time, created a new play, had a good time doing it. Let's do it again. Yes. And then, and so it allowed us the time, a little bit of a miracle Mm because it allowed us to work with the same cast that they were all still available, you know, subsequently a year and a half, two years later, um, that we got all of those people. So we got to just make it better. Yeah. Charles had a year to, hone the script, mm-hmm. tighten things. What 
didn't work so well. What did he want to change? How could he make things better? We ended up keeping the the length of each act exactly the same, but mm. there were a lot of changes, mm. a lot of script changes. Um, so, and then, you know, and to have a chance to have like, a real rehearsal process yeah. and to go back and really reimagine the design elements and mm -hmm. stuff like that for, you know, a, a proper production. Yeah. Well, it's still fantastic because Thank I you. saw it in 2018 and then I just saw it a week or two ago. Um, and I love it. It's hilarious. It is fresh. I love, I mean, I always love Charles Bush when he's a little campy. The cast is fantastic. Um, did you cry? Uh, I come didn't. On. Oh, come on. I don't normally cry. <laughs> I'm not really a crier at things. <laughs> and that's that's something we just love, that an audience member can come. You can come and have a campy, yes. body old time, but you can also get caught up in the story. And that's why there's something for everyone in these plays. Yes. Even and if I, you don't know what the movies right. are or anything like that. you know. So I like it when people are laughing, <laughs> laughing, laughing, and then weeping, 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 and then laughing. It's, you know, they're on the, they're on the, the uh, roller coaster with us. Yes. Well, that's one thing, too, about this show, The Confession of Lily Dare, is there, like you said, it, there is a lot of laughs in it, but there is a really heartfelt story at the core of it. Yeah. And it is, it is a beautiful story. And... I don't want to make it seem like I was not invested in that part of it. <laughs> so what do you love about directing this show? I love working with this cast. Um, they're so articulate. They're so intelligent. All of them are so smart and they bring so many wonderful things to the table as far as their performances. They're all very funny, but they're also really great dramatic actors. And, and to, do the, to do this material correctly, you have to be able to ride that roller coaster yes. as a performer. And yet you have to be very disciplined because it's very easy to go too far or play to laughs mm -hmm. or you know, wink at the audience. And, and we really pride ourselves on not doing that mm -hmm. and playing, you know, really taking it very seriously. Uh, with, with a light heart, but also being very clear about what the humor is meant to be, you know, and paying attention to the music of Charles's language and finding the pathos along with the comedy. And I find that to be a winning com uh, combination and especially working with these actors who uh, ex so far exceed, exceeded my expectations mm. about what the play was going to be. Charles is giving an extraordinary performance. Yes. Going from, you know, 16 year old convent girl to, you know, a lady in, in prison, uh, yeah. you know, but no, it's just, he's, it's just uh, for all the, for all the humor, there's just such depth of feeling that he's bringing to the part that it's been glorious working with him on that and seeing where he's going and supporting him in that. And likewise, having this really talented cast of actors, Nancy Anderson, Howard McGillan, Christopher Borg, Kendall Sparks, Jennifer Van Dyke, really meeting him there and lifting him even further. Um, it's just, I know it's a joy for him to play mm -hmm. the funny stuff and the sincere stuff. And they're all just having such a good time doing it that I really don't tire of watching. You know, you have to watch the show a lot yeah. <laughs> when you're a director. And... Um, I just so look forward to seeing what they're going to do because it's always so fresh. So the big joy has been really working with the cast on this one. Yeah, they're incredible. And they and everyone really brings their A-game to the show. There's, Absolutely. You know, and like you said, everyone, it's like everyone supports everyone and makes everyone shine so bright. It's just fantastic. Yeah, there's no, there's no competitive edge for no. laughs. There's nothing like that. It's just, you know, and Charles is so generous as a writer you know, and that he gives everybody a chance to shine because his yes. attitude is that their laughs are his laughs yes. because it's his story. Right. So exactly. that, and that's, that just allows him to be extraordinarily generous 
constantly. Yes, it's it's evident. You can tell. Um, so now, what was the most challenging part to direct of the show? Well, I think the, mo- the, the most challenging thing in this one was coming up with the scenic plan, the mise-en-scene, as they mm. say, because the play takes place in so many locations, and... Uh, you know, you you can't. We can't have uh, budgets are so, you know are limited. You can't have. We can't have a real set, a realistic set for every location. Right. And the story moves so quickly that that would just be an impossibility. So the challenge initially was to figure out. Okay, where we're going to have a unit set, but where are we going to be? What do we mm. want the? What do we want it to say? We knew we wanted to evoke San Francisco um, because that's where the story is set. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we were at Theater for the New City, we ended up in the biggest space that they have. Still, we, we still only had 99 seats, but we had this big room to fill, mm-hmm. which we hadn't had before. We'd always been in one of their smaller spaces, right. which is a little bit easier to fit a set in, you know, with a cast of six. Mm-hmm. But so this time, you know, we kind of had more space to fill and to justify. So when we did it at Theater for the New City, we sort of tried to evoke... San Francisco, the wharf, you know, it was mm-hmm. a series of platforms. We we used, you know, like an evocation of the painted ladies. Everything was sort of meant to be seen as through the mist of memory. So everything was on a gray scale. Um, and we had a big depiction of the uh, Golden Gate Bridge in the back that we mm. could light up when we wanted to see it and hide when we didn't want to see it. But it was ultimately not the right gesture. Mm-hmm. You know, we just sort of, it, it, but it was so big and expansive. And the story, even though it's a, it's a, you know, sort of a grand story, it's very human. Yes. So we knew that when we were going to move it to uh, primary stages, that we'd be at the Cherry Lane. And even if we wanted to do that set we couldn't Mm -hmm. because we simply wouldn't have the space to do it so it gave us a chance to reimagine and so what did we want how do what did we want to depict this time and having seen it for 24 performances and thinking like okay this big space gray meaning to you know the mists of memory Mm -hmm. how can we adjust that for a smaller space and wonderful uh, wonderful collaborator Brian Whitehill BT Whitehill who's you know designed sets for Charles going back to Vampire Lesbians of Sodom mm, wow. you know and sets and graphics he does a lot of posters too um, he's just such a great collaborator he's got such a keen eye and he's so smart um, and I always feel like I you know gain a few IQ points back <laughs> whenever I talk <laughs> with Brian because he's so smart and uh, so we we sort of really thought like what can we fit into this jewel box mm-hmm. and so we sort of came up with the idea of wanting to have a bordello feel mm-hmm. a real uh, sort of still in memory but a sort of a, bord- uh, a, a bordello feel a memory um, feeling and you know and actually have missed this time get fog machines with uh <laughs> via our lighting designer kirk bookman who we worked with a lot yes. too who's so wonderful. wonderful so so talented and again so clever and smart um so th- it was but figuring out like what the space would be how can we adapt what we did at theater of the new city uh, spatially to the smaller footprint mm-hmm. um, we still had a lot of you know costumes to uh, uh, make room for yes. um, and yet it had to be a unit set and allow us to sort of really move very swiftly mm-hmm. and I think what we came up with is very beautiful it's very evocative of the feeling that we were going for and I think it makes it just a little bit more intimate mm-hmm. um, with what the what, what Brian's created uh, so but it, it took us a lot of discussion and a lot Mm. of trial and error to figure out what would be the best unit set 
for this story that you know goes from you know a whorehouse to yes. <laughs> you know to a nightclub to prison to so many different places so many locations what would be what would help tell the story the best and i think i think we really hit on something special yes i was gonna say i think you made great choices and the set really works very well thank you yeah thank you priceline presents go to your happy price what's up it's kaylee cuoco When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I- I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Febreze is a proud partner of Can't Cancel Pride. However you choose to express yourself, Febreze has the perfect scent to make your home even more fabulous in your own unique way. Have an amazing pride from Febreze. Um, With directing the show, did your vision change at all from the premiere at Theater for the New City to this run at Cherry Lane Theater? Well, I think uh, what what changed is having having some time to sort of forget mm-hmm. what we did at Theater for the New City it was good for the actors. It was good for the designers. We sort of could take a step back and say what worked and where was there room for improvement. Mm. And as you know, from everything from the script to the clothes to the lighting to the scenic plan. Um, so that that was was the generosity of that time of being mm-hmm. part of that 35th anniversary season you know we really had a year and a half to think like well where where is there room for improvement and the script you know I think we we figured out that Charles sort of eliminated 15 pages and then added it back in but but not so as you would notice the first act is still under an hour the second act is still under 45 yes. minutes you know it really is a two-hour evening it just got tighter it just got stronger okay, so we're gonna switch gears real quick yes. and um, we're gonna play a game oh, gosh. based upon the film, A Very Serious Person, which is the film that you and Charles co-wrote together yes. and co-starred in. Um, so in this game, I'm going to list names of some people you have worked with, and you are going to tell me one serious thing about them and one funny thing about them. Okay. Or one funny thing that they did that made you laugh. So we're going to start with, of course, Charles Bush. All right. Well, uh, for, on the serious side of things, you know, Charles really has been my greatest influence and my closest friend. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, he's, he's an extremely important relationship in my life. So, you know, heartfelt, serious side of yes. things, that's really true. But he's also the funniest people I know, you know, and we just be on the phone for 10 minutes and there's, you know, like 16 good laughs, <laughs> you know. Um, but what, I think one of the, my funniest memories of Charles is from when we first met, actually, and we were sort of a few months into him playing in Swing Time Canteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very young and I was I was on the wardrobe. And so I was, you know, f- you know, doing the laundry. And, you know, there's a lot of just like labor that goes into being the head of wardrobe and maintaining mm-hmm. the wigs. And I made new uh, replacement costumes, altered 
in costumes for when there was cast changes or understudies came in. So I was, you know, very, wow. very busy. And, uh, and there was one, you know, particular day where you know he was getting ready for the evening show and I came in and I said boy I really feel like I'm paying my dues in this business <laughs> you know and, and Charles just sort of put down the eyebrow pencil and <laughs> looked at me with a cold hard eye in the mirror and said don't you talk to me about paying your dues in this business girl until you make your money on your back as a whore or a stripper then you can come to me and talk to me about paying dues Girl. <laughs> oh, my God. I could hear him saying that. I love it. I mean, apropos of nothing, but that was just so funny. Yeah. It was just like, but that's his, you know, he turned into Susan Hayward <laughs> and was absolutely hilarious. And, you know, how do you not love a guy like that? I mean, it's just that that's your pal. Yes. It's incredible. Um, let's go to Julie Halston. Well, Julie is just she's just one of the greatest human beings yes. there is you know she's so funny but she uh you know she's also dealt with some tremendous personal loss in recent mm-hmm. years has been difficult but she's she's just such a good person and one of the greatest things she's done is in in dealing with uh her late husband ralph howard's um battle with pulmonary fibrosis mm-hmm. she with him they really started this benefit that we've been doing for the last 10 years um called broadway belts for pulmonary fibrosis foundation and we started it because you know we were given the gift of Ralph getting a replacement lung yes. and having that transplant and then we got eight more years with him and so you know Julie is just she's a she's a great woman mm-hmm. who has made that happen and really shone a light on this this terrible affliction and she uh, she touches a lot of lives because uh, through that yeah so she does uh, but but on the funny side, again, you have a 10 minute phone conversation with Julie and there's 16 good laughs. Yeah. I mean, it's just everything from her vocal delivery to her <laughs> sense of humor mm-hmm. to her observations, just like with Charles, that that's why they're such a good team yes. is because they're just so funny and she cracks you up. And uh, to this day, you know, whenever we're sort of hanging up the phone or saying goodbye after a dinner or something, Julie will look at me and she'll say, we'll always have L.A. And that just goes back to a few years ago when we were recording um, uh, uh, The Divine Sister for L.A. Theater Works. Mm. We were out there for a week and uh, we're putting the play on tape, which was great fun. And at the same time, Julie, Charles, and I were sharing a house. Uh, we were basically staying at Andrew Rannell's house oh in Hollywood uh, while he was on the East Coast. So it sort of worked out perfectly. And I was sort of the chauffeur driving us back and forth <laughs> from the house in Hollywood to the UCLA campus. And we would just go through and just Julie's observations of, you know, everything that was Holly weird. <laughs> and I just remember at that time, there was a new book coming out about the, uh, the Manson family mm -hmm. murders and julie has been obsessed with that story her like ever because she was a she was a young person she was like teenagers yeah that was happening and so just knowing all the details all the facts about it and you know it's it's something and it was always something i never wanted to know about (laughs) it was always very scary to me i could see uh commercials for um helter skelter on Mm -hmm. tv and i was just always terrified of that story as a child i I avoided it whereas julie knew everything yeah so finally i was like julie we're driving and i said julie i heard that there's this new book coming out about the manson family and she said i've ordered it It's on its way through Amazon. I cannot wait because it's going to, you know, clear up this discrepancy or that discrepancy, <laughs> you know. And I said, well, Julie, you know, could you just, could you give me the timeline 
of like what happened because I've always avoided that story. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to read that book. But could you give me the timeline? And she started to shake. And she said, Carl, you have made my life. <laughs> we will sit poolside and you will, I will tell you the story. Funny thing about that was uh, Charles finally came out, joined us at the poolside and was telling the story. And, you know, we were all just so wrapped and we got so terrified and we skeeved ourselves out that here we were, you know, very close to where it all had gone down. Yeah. And so we were like, we're going to go inside. We're going to go inside. And I locked the door. And we just <laughs> we spent the next hour watching Punchy Players videos because we needed to change the tone. We needed a palate cleanser. I was going to so say. We were laugh so we were laughing hysterical. And again, it's the roller coaster. Yeah. Very, very dark, very serious. Here are the facts. To laughing, laughing, <laughs> laughing. Well, when it was time for me to sort of, I had to go to like this other uh, pool house open the door and the alarm system oh had been set. and in the middle of the night it's just going off crazy charles is melting into a pile it's so loud and julie is just screaming the code screaming the code screaming the code i get the code in and then we just died laughing for you know the next half hour it was just so ridiculous so you know that was such a bonding experience and julie said We'll always have L.A. <laughs> and then uh, later that fall, we went into rehearsals for the Tribute Artist, oh which was you know, a play we did together, which was such great yes. fun. So, yeah, that's my my I, that's just one of the many funny things that Julie will always crack me up with. I love it. Uh, a personal favorite of mine, Kathy Lee Gifford. Oh, Kathy Lee Gifford was, you know, this very sort of brief uh, interaction with her. Uh, basically, Charles had this opportunity to direct a short film for Showtime. Um, uh, years ago and it was called um, Personal Assistant mm -hmm. it was just like sort of like a 10 minute film and I sort of we, we sort of talked about the story together and then uh, they got Kathy Lee Gifford to star in it oh which was God. really great fun and so Charles was directing it and I had a little part in it and I just remember, uh, in, in, and it's actually, um, it was what led to a very serious person happening. Mm. Um, but uh, there was one place where in the script her character was supposed to say something like, you know, God damn it, something, something, mm. something. And she really didn't want to say God damn it. She's such a woman of faith that she just, it was really important that she not take the Lord's name in vain. Right. And you have to respect that. But she was so sweet about it <laughs> that she said, you know, I'll say anything else you want. I'll say fuck. I'll say shit. I'll say the C word. Word. You know, she was just, she would say she was just anything, but you know, it really didn't matter. She could say, you know, dang it. It wasn't right. important, but she just, she wanted to respect the writer, but she just really didn't want to, to take the Lord's name in vain. And it was so, so sweet, but it was very, very dear and, and funny, you know, I love at the that. same time. I love that. Kathy Lee, but she was, and she was great fun. Yeah. She was like, she showed up early. She knew all our lines. Mm -hmm. She was excellent. Um, we had, you know, Jim Caruso was in that. Julie was in oh, that. Wow. Mario Cantone was in that. Oh we my had a God. great, great day. And, uh, and she was just a game gal and she stayed late mm. and, you know, and she wore her own clothes and did her own makeup and she was just, she's great, great fun. Yeah. So I've heard really good things about her work she's, ethic. She's, and she's terrific. Yeah. Um, oh, legendary Cheetah Rivera. Well, that was that was one of the happiest times of my life um, when the Actors Fund was going to uh, do a concert of, of the visit, and my dear friend Tim Pinckney, who uh, was producing it for the Actors Fund, invited me to direct the concert, and that was just extra extraordinary. And um, and I was and it was going to star Cheetah, and so uh, the the great thing was that I had to be sort of vetted by Terrence McNally, who I'd met 
over the years, mm-hmm. and John Kander, who I'd never met, and Cheetah Rivera, who I'd never met. But so once they all sort of agreed that I could do the show, I really had, they had to meet me. Yeah. So I remember going, you know, to Terrence's apartment and, you know, sort of him getting comfortable with me. And when I said, you know, here's what, I, here's what I think we'll do. Oh, and then he opened up and he got, he was very excited. Mm-hmm. And just, we spent like two hours talking about the show. Then the next morning was breakfast with John Kander. You know, go to his oh house God. and, you know, sort of starts off like, you know, okay, hello, hello. And then explaining, you know, what we're going to do and how, how I see this concert. And then he opened up and got very excited. And it was just like, ah, oh, good. Number three was Cheetah. Mm. <laughs> so lunch with Cheetah. Oh, my God. And uh, we went to, uh, to uh, West Bank. And uh, Tim and I were going to have lunch with her. And so we were waiting there in the booth. And she showed up and she looked very serious. And she had a hat on and sort of stood, sat in the booth and looked at me, fixed me with a very serious looking gaze. And then she goes, what the hell are we doing? And then she collapsed into my arms and said, please take care of me. And we just laughed oh and we spent God. the next two hours talking about what the show was going to be and you know what would make her happy and how we how we could best you know support her mm-hmm. in revisiting this role and we just laughed for two hours and we had the best time and those two weeks working with her and uh and with Anne Ryan King who was choreographing mm. was just such a gift to me to spend time with that group yeah and that material and we had such a ball and it was extraordinary she got a five minute standing ovation just by entering yeah the top of the play that doesn't surprise me so wonderful so it was that was extraordinary and like she just you know that's what that's that's the funny thing about you know she's such a she's such a, a wonderful and um elegant lady yeah you know so you know you know, she, her, what's serious about her is her talent yeah. and her legend and her legacy. And what's funny about her is just her warmth. And she's so open mm-hmm. and divine. And we'll talk about anything. But the funny story here, I, I do remember the memory, <laughs> is we're at the Sitz Probe for the, for the visit. So we're hearing those glorious orchestrations at Carol Music. And fi- where the conductor says, okay, um, everybody, number 17. And Cheetah just spread her legs wide and said the spread eagle <laughs> <laughs> and, every, and the room full of you know 40 people just died oh you know she was just like you know bringing back chicago and yeah. the recording and we just thought that was heaven you know just oh. like that kind of person yeah that legendary lady just having such a good time and so thrilled to be doing what she's doing and just like playful just playful yeah so anyway that that about cheetah yeah uh, it was just so so funny number 17 Number 17, everybody, the spread eagle. (laughs) She went into the splits. It was just heaven, just pure heaven. Uh, And finally, we have Kathleen Turner. Oh, Kathleen. That was great fun meeting Kathleen and getting to work with her when we did the third story in New York. And uh, I I just got such a kick out of her. And she's so, you know frank and honest and clean you know in her in her thinking and i just it just really liked her forthright attitude you know yeah what was so great about uh, kathleen as you know it's like she she's dealt with her uh struggle with um rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. like a champ you know and really speaks about it and is very frank about her experiences and i think that kind of honesty removes the stigma mm-hmm. of dealing with being in chronic pain and understanding it and I, I just really applaud her stamina and also I applaud her fun attitude you know I've done we did the third story and I really 
loved working with her on mm-hmm. that. And then, um, and subsequently we did a, she did a benefit for me, benefit reading of a play called Hollywood Nurses. And she's yes. just such a game lady and so fun. And I'm so thrilled that she's having this resurgence with her uh, cabaret career. Mm-hmm. I think it's just wonderful. But, uh, you know, one of the interesting things, it was kind of serious and then it was kind of funny. Uh, when we were doing the third story, after we had opened, she, um, you know, she had been dealing with, uh, uh, she had like needed a knee operation of uh-huh. some kind. But at the Lortel, it was just nothing but stairs. <laughs> and so, you know, you had to go up the stairs to get to the dressing room, downstairs to get to the deck, oh and then God. upstairs to get to the set. And it was just a lot of stairs. Well, one night coming from intermission, coming from the dressing room, something clicked in her knee and she did the whole second act. Her knee blew up like a balloon oh and you know we had to get her to the hospital. And we were a little worried. We we're like, oh my God, what if she can't come back? And we were really nervous. And then we were trying to think like, well, what could happen? You know, and then we sort of came up with this nutty notion of, well, maybe Charles could play his, you know, <laughs> two of his roles and one of her roles, and then I would come back and I would play one of his roles and one of her roles and something <laughs> like that. We figured it all out. We kind of worked it out, and we thought, wait, yeah, this could work if if she can't come back, if she's incapacitated because of the knee, if the doctor, you know, she needs surgery, whatever. And um, so we we kind of we talked it through with the producers, we talked it through with the cast, we actually rehearsed it. We were gonna try it because we were waiting to see what was going right. to happen with her. And, um, of course, that night after we came up with this notion, you know, I, I was uh, sort of vomiting all night, and Charles <laughs> had a bloody nose, and we are just like, oh, this is just a terrible idea. Oh, God, what are we going to do? Phone rings at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's Kathleen, and she's like, I hope you don't do anything rash. Talk to my doctor. And the doctor said, let her use a cane if you can build a ramp so that she can get up to the stage and Mm. not have to deal with uh, the steps. And if she can wear, you know, sort of like these orthopedic shoes that are black, that'll be fine. Um, She can do the show. She can come back in two days. Wow. And she's like, I'm coming back. And I said to her, you know, like what the what we had come up with, and she she said, "Nonsense! <laughs> Nobody's playing my part but me." <laughs> and uh, and it was funny; it made international news. You know, Kathleen Turner, you know, continues with the show, yes. uh, which I loved. You know, my dad calls me and he said, "I'm in the newspaper man." He's like, "I'm seeing the New Zealand Times." <laughs> and like, Kathleen Turner is a trooper. And I'm like, "She sure is," but. Um, Subsequently, after uh, she was back in the show and we made all those adjustments so that she could, you know, we made a special dressing room for her and made the ramp and, uh, but she would have to exit the theater after the show through the front of the house because it was, you know, the most level way to go so that she wouldn't have to climb stairs. And uh, there were always people waiting at a stage door for her. They always wanted her to sign things. People would, you know, hand her a baseball. Mm -hmm. She'd she'd sign it. People would give Kathleen anything they could to sign just to get, because she's a huge movie yeah. star you know and um it's like everything from a baseball to one night as i was helping her get into her car um this guy as i was helping her get into this car this gentleman came up to her and put a poster in front of her and asked her to sign it and he said this is for all the gays and lesbians in chicago <laughs> and she looked at him and said all of them <laughs> and he said yes and she signed it and she said give them my best. <laughs> I was like, that's a star. That is. That's a star. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I really I really love Kathleen. So we're just going to go with the last few questions. Okay. Um, so since the game was based on the movie A Very Serious Person, we're going to quickly talk about A Very Serious Person because I'm actually going to see it on Sunday at the New York Indie Theater Film Festival, which I'm very excited about. So what was it like to co-write and co-star 
in the film as opposed to write and act in a stage production? Oh, it's a dream come true. You know, uh, Charles and I share an affinity for movies and just, you know, love the concept of movies. And so when we were given this opportunity to actually make a movie, it was magical. Mm -hmm. It was really magical. And it came about because our friend Daryl Roth, you know, who's produced our, many of our plays, yes. uh, saw a, the a personal assistant short subject that Charles made with Kathy Lee Gifford. She thought it was wonderful. And she said, you know, if you ever like an opportunity to make a, a feature, write, you know, write a story and, and let me know. Oh my God. And so then Charles said to me, he's like, we got to write a story kid. <laughs> so then we wrote this movie and then we rewrote it and rewrote it a couple of times and then gave it to her and she loved it. She loved the subject matter. And she said, I think we should make this movie. And we said, okay. And this was probably like February. And, she, <laughs> and we said, okay, when she said the summer, and wow. then, you know, very quickly put the production together and we spent a month, you know, making that movie. And then we spent, you know, a couple of months editing it. And she was just divine during the whole process. And so it, what was in, what's interesting is that, you know, you spent a lot of time, just, just as much time writing a screenplay. Mm -hmm. um, but what we learned in going backwards afterwards is that in your rewriting and your editing was, you know, we had to make it more visual because you're writing for the camera yes. and it's not so dialogue heavy. Mm. So that was a very interesting lesson about writing. And then what's so interesting about performing for film, especially in a, in a, a low budget film that you're taking, you know, you have a very limited amount of time yes. and a lot of shot, a lot of shooting you got to do. Um, when you're doing a play, if it doesn't work Tuesday night, you can fix it Wednesday right. night. You get another shot at it. And so, but with film, you really have to get it right before you move on mm -hmm. because there's really never any time to come back to it. Mm. So, you know, you, and when you're in the editing room, you can really see like in those early days of shooting where, oh gosh, if we'd only gotten a little bit more coverage or if the mm. lighting was a little different and you really can't go back. Right. So even though there's the freedom to get it right, you really got to make sure you know exactly what you want it to look like yes. all together uh, but before you leave that shot. So it's very, it's very, it's just, it was a very interesting thing. And of course we had a wonderful team. We had a wonderful cast. So it was really uh, as much fun doing that movie as any of our plays were. Um, so that, that was that, but that was really the difference. Yes. You know, the one is very ephemeral and one is forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, Yes. Well, I can't wait to see it. I'm yeah, so oh, excited. I love doing that movie. I love doing that movie. Uh, what are some other projects you have coming up? Well, I'm um, very, I'm very hopeful that uh, I'll get a chance to do uh, a production of this wonderful play that we did a reading of with Kathleen called uh, Hollywood Nurses mm. that we did a few years ago, and I've uh, been working on that project for a long time, and we're hoping uh, to find a. Uh, place to to do it this year and oh, we're, we're in talks so that's great that's written by Sheila Head and Peter Michael Peter Michael Marino is a great friend and uh, oh, both I'm of them interviewing him in a few weeks oh yes. yeah show up kids yes um, no he's great he and Sheila wrote this play and they found me during Shanghai Moon so we've mm, been sort of like wow. you know in each other's pockets since then so great friends and uh, done various you know workshops and whatnot of that show and so we're, I think we're getting a little closer to having a chance during a production that's terrific and that's exciting and last year in Miami, I did a play called Fake. Mm -hmm. It was written by my dear friend Carmen Palais, and about uh, it's set in the art world, mm. and um, and about fakes. And her uh, her great aunt Amelia Palais was one of the foremost uh, modernist painters from Cuba. Oh wow! And so it very much reflects her experience of you know sort of what do you do when 
what you see before you could be a fake. Mm. And so it was a very, uh, we did a beautiful production with Miami New Drama last year. And we're trying to find other opportunities to do that play because I really loved another chance to, you know, have a wider audience yeah. see that. Oh, terrific. And, uh, and then, and Charles and I are actually working on another movie script. Oh, wow. Yeah, we want to, we want to make it, we want to get back into pictures. Yes. So we're working on a story and, uh, and hopefully within the next year we'll be making another movie. That's terrific. Yeah. Well, if you need an interviewer in the movie, hey, I'm available. I know where to come. <laughs> I know where to come. Exactly. Well, we are up to the last question, um, which I can't believe already. So I always end my interviews playing off of the title of my podcast, Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. So if you could bear it all and reveal something about yourself that you have not told in a previous interview, what would you tell me today? Well, it's so, this, is a, this is a real hard question because I feel like I'm such an open book. Yes. Uh, you know, anybody can ask me anything. Um, I, maybe I'll tell you. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like I have so many secrets. But I think what something's unusual <laughs> is that. that I'm a big uh, fan of women's basketball. Oh. I love the WNBA. Um, Who's your favorite team? Uh, Connecticut Sun. Oh, okay. Connecticut Sun. Yeah. Um, we have a personal connection to uh, the Connecticut Sun. My dear friend Amber is the vice president of the team. So uh, she is my uh, my husband Christopher's uh, clo- one of his closest friends from high school. Oh, wow. And she is um, in, she's always been in uh women's uh, athletics uh-huh. and uh, a couple years ago she and her wife moved east and they uh, and, and worked for the WNBA and when they were in New York we'd get to go and see like Liberty Games oh, wow. and you know sit uh, courtside which you know you feel like Spike Lee it's yes. just so exciting um, but uh, yeah so she uh, she runs the um, Connecticut Sun and they were in the finals last year oh my gosh. super super exciting excellent excellent team and it's funny like I, I was so unathletic growing up and <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm slightly more athletic now but team sports were never yeah. ever my thing but seeing the game through my friend Amber and Kyle's eyes, it just, just opened it up to me and it's very exciting. It's very strategic. It's very strong, strong and athletic. And these women are incredible, incredible just to watch these athletes up and down the court, especially if you're lucky enough to sort of be close and see the speed at which they're going and their strength and their height and their power. It's just, it's mesmerizing and it's thrilling. So I tell everybody, you gotta go see a WNBA game. Well, we will. Go, go, go. Yes. Go, go, go. Well, that's the whole interview. So thank you very much thank for you, your Adam. time. Thanks for you're asking welcome. me. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And everybody listening to this podcast, you are going to get tickets for The Confession of Lily Dare, which is at the Cherry Lane Theater here in New York City, and it's running through March 5th. And that's it. He'll get the dirt and the scoop and the story For he happens to be in the know Just ask anybody who's had him Had him, lives for the business of show Callmeadam.com Thanks for listening. For more Call Me Adam interviews, visit callmeadam.com and follow me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Call Me Adam NYC.